Did you know that there was a solar eclipse this week? <laughs> I mean, everybody knew that, right? Um, you might probably catch it. I mean, I was taken aback by how in awe I was of that eclipse. I did not expect to to be wowed like that, but it was beautiful. It was awe-inspiring, attention-grabbing, and totally weird all at the same time. I mean, to see the sun be blocked by the moon and to see all that happen, and we were in the path of totality, which means that it was totally covered, and we could take our glasses off and stare directly at the sun. Now, it's interesting. Do you want to know how powerful the sun is, right? The sun can blind you from 92 million miles if you stare at it. And as one football commentator said in a tweet, and we dare think we can just walk into the presence of that creator on our own. Oh my, the sun being covered just elicited in us all sorts of responses. We, if you've seen the pictures of the eclipse, there's so many great ones out there. There's even one where the space station is just a little blip compared to the sun. And the space station is the size of a couple football fields, and it's right there. You may have gotten those wonderful glasses, right? And hopefully, unless most of you look like you can see today, so basically, hopefully you got the real ones, right? You can actually look at the sun and see it. It is in this context today that we continue in the I am statements of Jesus. And funnily enough, the, the, <laughs> the passage that we're going to cover is Jesus' statement in John 8, 12. He's, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Now, we could, we're not smart enough to plan that, okay? We're just not. You just get, come and meet me, Kevin, and Tom. We're not smart enough to figure that out on our own, okay? We probably, like, I, I deal week by week. I knew the eclipse was coming last week, and so I tried to find glasses. I got glasses Monday morning. Thank you, Brett Johnson, and also Rhonda for helping me find glasses, okay? I, that's how prepared we are. So we didn't have, I didn't have glasses to watch this thing. We've known it was coming for years because of astronomy and all that kind of stuff, and I didn't even have that, so we couldn't plan this, but it just fits that the Lord uses something like the light to communicate a truth about who Jesus is, that he is very God in the flesh, and that he has come as a light. And he says in this context, in John 8, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. To understand this statement fully, we need to know two things. We need to look at it in context, and we need to look at it in the form of this conversation that this statement appears in, okay? So context and conversation. If you would, we're going to look at context first. So take your Bible and turn to John chapter 7, verse 1. John 7, verse 1, and we're going to see the context, and this is very important. John 7, verse 1, the context of this statement, I am the light of the world. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. Now, after this is what we just talked about uh, last couple weeks, that Jesus said, I am the bread of life. So this is right after this happens. He's fighting with the Jewish religious leaders, and verse 7 says after this. We don't know how long after this, but after this, this is what happens. After, th after this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now, the Jews' feast of the booths was at hand. Now, I want you to underline that because that is super important to understanding this. The feast of the booths can also be called the feast of the ta feast of tabernacle or the feast of ingathering, okay? That, follow me? This is important. We're going to go somewhere. Just make a mental note, okay? 
Noted. You got me? Note. All right. Going on. Verse 3. So his brothers said to him. Now, we know his brothers here. This goes against some doctrine, some false doctrines that go, are out there. Mary what, conceived as a virgin, and she gave birth to Jesus, and she was still a virgin. Okay? That's biblical truth. It's displayed in the Bible. It's important to know the origin of Jesus, that he comes from God. He's the bread from heaven, right? So he's the bread sent down from heaven. But Mary, after that, knew Joseph and had children with Joseph, and so she was not a perpetual virgin like some would claim. She had, Jesus had half-brothers. <laughs> Who's your dad, Jesus? The father. <laughs> okay? Probably not, probably hard to live up to that expectation right in a household. And so we get in verse 3. So his brothers said to him, leave here and go to Judea, and your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. So there's a big if here, and what his brother, what we have in this situation, his brothers do not believe, and his brothers don't come to believe until after the resurrection. And so his very own family members, they were in the house with the word of God made flesh. They could not see it. Do you know why again? Because it goes back to what we know, that, that spiritual blindness is per pervasive, and that unbelief is our, is our default setting, and it has to be that we are regenerated or made alive by God, born again to be able to see the truth that's right in front of us. You hear me? God has to do the supernatural work. Remember, remember what Jesus would say? He said about coming to him, that it is his work 100%. And so they don't believe, and they said, why don't you come up to the feast, okay, and show yourself that you are the Messiah. Verse 5, for not even his brothers believed in him. Verse 6, Jesus said to them, my time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. You go to the feast. I am not going up to the feast, for my time was not my time has not yet fully come. After saying these things, he remained in Galilee. In verse 10, it says, But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. I want you to be very clear here. Jesus is not telling his brothers a lie. He's just saying, I'm not going up the way you want me to go up. How do they want him to go up? They wanted him to go up to the feast in Jerusalem in a big procession and making a big deal about it. Many of you may have watched the fight that was on last night, and it's really awkward if you have, didn't watch the fight. Maybe you've seen other situations like the Academy Awards or other things where people walk out on the red carpet, okay? And when they're on the red carpet, everybody's taking a picture of them, and they're doing, you know, eh, you know, that kind of stuff. You see the Hollywood people doing that. How awkward of a situation would that be? Can you imagine if you walked into church this morning, and all of a sudden I was like, hey, hey, and people just snapping your picture? Would that be uncomfortable to you? Okay, good, because that's, that's not our next outreach strategy. We're not doing that, okay? That would be, <laughs> welcome to church. <laughs> yeah, okay. We're not doing that. How awkward would that be? That's what, that is akin to what his, that his brothers are saying. They don't believe him. They don't believe in who he is, even though he's right in front of their face. Why don't you come up and show everybody who you are? Don't do these things in secret. Show them. To show them. And Jesus said, it's not my time. That's not how I'm going to do this. I'm going to follow my Father's will. So he goes up privately. Now, 
Let's also understand this. This Feast of Booths was a or Feast of Tabernacles or Feast of Ingathering, however you want to call it. This is a very important thing in the life of Judaism, okay? Especially at this time period. It was one of the three major festivals in Judaism. It's prescribed in the Old Testament. We get a prescription of this in Leviticus chapter 23, which just talked about those, those festivals. Also, it's seen in the second law, Deuteronomy 16, verse 13. You can see this information about this feast, okay? And I'm going to give you the Reader's Digest version of that. If you want to go, go back and like really dig into it, you certainly can. But I'm going to give you like just kind of a brief overview of this. It was one of the three festivals that Jewish males were required to make a pilgrimage and attend, and here's how they would go attend. They would go in big parties. Now, most of us, if we have to go and attend something, we get in our automobile, we put that into drive, and we go to that place. However, they had to walk or ride some form of dom- domesticated animal, like a camel or donkey or something. They had to ride it on up there to Jerusalem. So it was a big trip. And when they were inviting him to go, he, is going, he would have been going with a posse a bunch of people that would get together and they would go up and they would go to this festival and they would worship there. This is the context in which Jesus is coming to say this statement. This, just a few more details that you might need to know, and this is going to be very, very important to understand when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, what he is really saying. This, this festival would take place in the seventh month according to the Jewish calendar, Okay on the 15th day. Now, we don't follow the, the Jewish calendar, but it's be the equivalent of September or October when this thing would take place. And the, the feast actually lasted for one week. The first day of the feast was a solemn holy assembly. They'd make the sacrifices. It would be people all from all over the place coming into and slamming Jerusalem. People everywhere. Okay, they'd come to worship. The first day was a day of worship, a day of rest. They couldn't do anything. Then the other days, from day two to day seven, was a party. And then day eight, they ended again with rest and worship. And the party took place in a very interesting way. I think it's almost akin to tailgating for Jesus, okay? Or tailgating for God is what this is akin to. Because here's what they do. This is why they call it the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles. What they would do is, and it was prescribed, they would have to go and find branches and other pieces of tree, okay, and make for themselves a booth or a tabernacle or a lean-to or some form of shelter, okay? This is prescribed in the Old Testament. And then they were supposed to sleep and live that whole week in the streets, not in their nice houses. Many of you like to camp a lot. I like hotels, okay? I will camp, but I prefer going to the restroom indoors, okay? I prefer beds. And so there's, in Jerusalem, okay, they, they're leaving their house. Even if you live there, they're leaving their house, and they're tabernacling. They're sitting in a booth. They're making a lean-to shelter and living in it for the week and tailgating, having a party, a feast in this thing, a party for God. And the party here is meant, meant to remind them of something, in the wilderness, you know, go back to the book of Exodus. Remember God's people in slavery? God sends the plagues. He redeems them and leads them out of Egypt, crushing Pharaoh's army. How did God lead them out? By a cloud by day 
and a pillar of fire by night. And they wandered in the wilderness for some time, right? And God was faithful to them. In fact, God was so faithful to them when they didn't have anything to drink and they were whining. And the Bible is full of whining, by the way. Just like my house, getting ready to go to, get to, go to school every morning. I don't want to go. I don't want to, okay? His Bible's even got more whining than that in it, okay? They got, it's mostly Amy, not Judson, that's whining, by the way. She, I heard her say it, so I had to do it, okay? There, there's this... <laughs> I love you. Um, there, there is this wine that when they were like, God, we're thirsty. Why can't we go back to Egypt? You know what he does? Water from the rock. In John 7, later on, when Jesus goes up to the festival, you know what he would say? I'm living water. Drink of me. Don't thirst. This is on purpose. This is not a quinky dink. Oh, look at this. This stuff mirrors what happens in the Exodus. Huh. Remember, where do we first see I am? In the book of Exodus chapter 3. And what's the I am doing? The I am is the bread, like the manna that was sent down. He is the bread sent down. Not only that, now he is this light, this fire that guided the people out of bondage into freedom. And so we also see this. At, during Jesus' time, they added some elements to the, to the festivities, okay? Just like when they celebrated the first Christmas, the tree wasn't involved. That's a later addition, okay? Nothing wrong with it. It's just a later addition to the celebration that we have for Christmas, okay? That is what happens with Judaism. They added some things on that, that weren't necessarily prescribed in the Old Testament, in the law, but they added them anyway, they weren't wrong. They were just a part of the celebration. And one of the things they would do is they would go down to the pool of Siloam and they would get water and they would make a water offering. So Jesus is saying that I, I, I'm the living water, okay? He's telling them that. And if you come and drink of me, you'll never thirst again in light of what had just happened, this processional. And also, they would do, they had this big menorah that they would light and leave lit the whole time the festival was going on. And it would produce a great light. And what was that light supposed, what was the tailgating in the booths and the light and the water supposed to symbolize? God bringing the people out in the exodus. So it's in this context when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, <laughs> there's no mistake. And it makes the Jews, the Pharisees angry because they're not dumb. They get it. And so we have to read this statement, I am the light of the world, in context of the Feast of Tabernacles, where Jesus is. We also must understand it in light of the conversation in which he's having. If you go down to, to John 8, verse 31, John 8, 31, Jesus and the Jews are having a back and forth. And you can kind of see this, and the Jews, are, most of them are hating him. Some of them have come to this place where they nominally, shallow, in a shallow way, believe. And so in this conversation, they're back and forth. In verse 31, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him. Now, I want you to circle believed in him. It's interesting because their belief is going to be shown to be shallow here in a moment. If you abide in my words, you are truly my disciples. If you abide, if you remain, this is a word we don't use very often, if you Remain in my word. You are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And they answered him, 
we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. They don't know their own history. We've never been slaves. Just read the Bible. There are slaves all the time to Pharaoh, to the Persians, to the Babylonians. Right now, they are enslaved to the Romans. Just note, we're coming back, okay? The answer, we're the offspring of Abraham. And I've never been enslaved to anyone. Who is it that you say, how is it that you say you will become free? And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my words find no place in you. I speak of what I have seen by my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. And so we note this. I want you to see this very clearly, just like we see the word coming, the I am statements, that I am paralleling Exodus chapter 3. And we also saw the manna providing for God's people when we saw this in John 6. Now we see the Jews grumbling and complaining, just like what the people did against Moses and God. They grumbled and complained, and now what's happening? They are grumbling and complaining about the one who leads them out of freedom. So here's this. When Jesus says, I am the light of the world, in context and in conversation, he is saying, as the light of the world, I lead people out of bondage and into freedom. I lead people out of bondage into freedom. That is what one of the, that's one of the ways we can understand Jesus as the light of the world, is the one who led the people by a flame of fire out of death and into freedom and life. And I want to show you and unpack this in, this in the context of this conversation, what that looks like. Because I want you to know something. You need freedom today. You are more enslaved by sin than you know, and you need freedom more than you can recollect. And so we get to this passage, and I want you to see how, how much Jesus shows them that they're in bondage. In, we see in verse 34, Jesus told them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. Remember their context. This is a festival that is meant to point back to the Exodus, right? And the people were enslaved. What did they have to do? They had to work at jobs that they did not want to work at. They worked in conditions in which were not of their own doing. It was placed upon them by their captors. They had to do what they did not want to do. They were being oppressed. It was painful, and they cried out to the Lord for help. They are in a bad situation. Their slavery was had them completely and utterly chained down and beaten down. And Jesus now is drawing a parallel that he's come not just to save you out of physical slavery, but to save you out of spiritual slavery as well. And he says in this verse, truly, truly, I say to you, he wants people to understand this, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. If you sin... You are a slave to it. It means you bear its curse because if you sin, it can't just be that you're 
good deeds outweigh your bad deeds. We know that that indelible mark of sin stays unless it is washed away by a capable solvent. And that is what we have here is that sin is there in making you a slave. We also see that, that, that it's not, it's, he has to tell them this. He says, truly, truly, I want you to get this. Understand this, that you really are a slave. Because many of us and our culture at large doesn't want to think of us as slaves to sin. In fact, that is a very obnoxious comment to say to somebody. That, hey, you're dead in your sin. You're a slave to your sin. Most people are like, I'm not a sinner. I've never killed anybody because that is the sin that we always run to, right? I've never killed anybody. Again, setting the bar low, right? I've never done, like, I've never committed vehicular homicide, I've never plowed into a group of school children. I'm great. Here's the thing about sin. It is deceptive. And Jesus wants us to know that if we sin, we are slaves to it. Because here is the real facts. You can, you might be, have the willpower. And I'm looking at you. There's some people in here who probably got some willpower, okay? You got to have enough willpower to stop the behavior of sin, Right? I'm not going to do that anymore. It's not right. I'm going to put this away. I'm going to lock this up. I'm going to trash this behavior. I'm going to trash this thing in my life. I'm going to break this relationship. I have the willpower to do it. I don't know how bad I feel. I have the willpower to do it. But you might can forget the behavior, but you will not lose that inclination, the want to on your own. It's just a fact. You can put away the behavior, but what's still gnawing at you? Oh, I'd love to go back to that. Ooh, that itch. I want to scratch it and scratch it good. It's like having a sunburn. You know it's going to be bad to scratch that thing, but you buy that $2 back scratcher and you go to town. And if you're not going to town, you said, I know this is going to be bad. You put it away, or you tell your wife to hide it, and you can tell this has happened to me. <laughs> you hide this for me so I don't make my back bleed. You're still thinking about it. You got that itch you can't scratch. And that is the nature of sin and its enslavement. It's also sneaky because when he says to them, you're a slave, <laughs> they're like, what you talking about? Okay, Right? Look in verse, we see in verse 33 um, that uh, they said, they answered him. When Jesus talks to them about the truth setting them free, verse 33 of John 8, he, they say that the Jews say to him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? This is the dumbest argument ever. And they're trying to make that in front of Jesus, the Son of God, who knows the history of the people of God, and who was with I am, and who is I am, and who was there at the Exodus, and at the Babylonian captivity, and the Persian captivity. And right now, they're actually under oppression and slavery. But they have the audacity to not understand and be self-aware. Say, we're children of Abraham. We've never been in slavery. Are you kidding me? 
That's like going to the doctor and being really overweight and saying, I never eat candy. Lies. I don't ever eat seven steaks, okay? That's like, I only eat celery and exercise for 20 hours a day. I don't even sleep. I don't even know why I'm, I'm overweight. What is your problem? But we do, we, do, we do this all the time. And that's what they're doing. We've never been enslaved. Have you read the Old Testament that you claim to be beating everybody over the head with? You've been enslaved this whole time. How could you not know that? Because sin is deceptive. And these people, in their unbelief, they don't want to recognize their slavery and they don't want to recognize its cure. And that is the nature of unbelief. We will rationalize our behaviors. We will try to call it everything but what it is, a sin and affront to a holy God. We will say, no, God understands my living situation because of this. And no, God is holy. And he wants you to come out of darkness and into light. He'll understand this thing that I have secret and hidden. No, he doesn't. In fact, he knows it's killing you, and so he's calling you, and he's convicting you, and he's moving in you to say, come out of darkness into light. But I've never been a slave to this. If you love it, and you think about it, and you cherish it, and you won't give it up, you're already a slave. And that's, these people just will not acknowledge their slavery. They, they said, no, we've never been. They even, even contrary to the facts, they will argue contrary to the facts. No! We've never been slaves. And that's why Jesus says in verse 34, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. This only not just goes into the failure to recognize enslavement, but we also see that shallow unbelief keeps us at this place where we will be glad to be enslaved. What does that mean? Go back and look. Go back and look in uh, verse 31. It says, And Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, so who is he talking to? He's talking to some of the Jewish people, so the Jewish religious leaders, and there's a certain group of them that are at least acknowledging that he is making some good points and they believed in him. This belief, though, proves itself to be shallow. Do you know why? Because this very mob is going to start, one, they, they're going to, in the preceding sections that follow, they're going to say he's demon-possessed and he's crazy and that, and that they're going to try to kill him. That's not belief, <laughs> Right? Jesus, I believe in you. Let me kill you. I believe in you, but I don't want to do what you say. I believe in you, but I don't want my life to be any differently whatsoever. I don't want to change what I have going on. I just want to believe in you abstractly. And what, what we see here is they have a shallow belief, and shallow belief keeps us enslaved. Because what does it mean? Many of us want all the benefits of Jesus without the lordship of Jesus, and those two things are incompatible. What? What? But he's talking about his yoke is easy and his burden is light. But then, what does he talk about? Unless you take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. I want you to be very clear about this. The offer of grace includes the lordship of Christ. It's not an add-on later it is the same message. Grace meets you at your point of need. And it doesn't say clean yourself up. It says, I will take care of those sins. 
and then it calls you to a lordship and a following him. And so here's, here is the very facts. If you think you are following Jesus, however, you don't. If you say you believe in Jesus for salvation and you don't follow him and you, your life has none of, the, none of the characteristics and qualities of a disciple, you're not turning from sin, you're not believing and trusting, you're not praying, you're not reading the Bible, you're not seeking the things of God, you're not trying to serve. If that is you, you are not a disciple because the Jews believed, the demons believed and trembled, but that doesn't make saving faith. Saving faith is belief resulting in works and actions and allegiance to Jesus, right? And so what we have here is they say they believe, but their belief is obviously, they, they want to believe in Jesus and they want all of the benefits, but they don't want any of the discipleship. That is not that can't be. It can never be. That's not the gospel. And if someone ever told you that's the gospel, it's not the gospel. And sadly, what we have going on in small southern towns, including this one, is this, that people think, man, I claim Jesus because I had some religious experience one time, and I walked down front and shook somebody's hand, and I prayed some kind of magical incantation prayer, and therefore I am now a follower, even though their life looks no different. That is not discipleship. That is dangerous because that's shallow unbelief and it keeps you blind to your actual slavery. And secondly, in a small southern town, we need to hear this. What were they banking their hope on? They didn't recognize their slavery because of their shallow unbelief. And they didn't recognize their slavery because they were trusting in their heritage. Look at me in verse 33. And they answered him, we are offspring of Abraham, which means that we have physically descended from the one whom the promise was made. Remember, Abraham, we were the father of the multitudes. We've descended from him. We're Israelites. They answered, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. Remember, they've made themselves lies so they can believe, the, they, so they can believe what they want to. How is it that you say these things, you will become free? Then we go down to verses 37 8. For, Verses 37 and 38, he says this. I know that you are off, Jesus is talking to them. I know that you are the offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my words find no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with, with my father and do, and you have heard from your father. And ultimately, he would say their father is the devil, but who are they claiming as their father? Abraham. And they said, because we're in the people of God, at least we're physically descended from people who trusted God and who the promises were made to, because we're physically descended from them, we are okay. Go around town, if you would. I want you to just ask somebody about their, their faith background. And everybody is a member of somewhere. And they will start telling you. Especially if they find out when I find when they find out I'm a pastor, then it's like, let me give give you my spiritual resume, okay? <laughs> Which is like, I did not punch the guy last week at the football game, okay? I mean, that's that's the spiritual resume starts. I cried at a war room. I did, you know, I believe prayer works, okay? I get emotional sometimes when they sing Amazing Grace at the Grand Ole Opry, okay? This this is the open up this huge bag of like. Look at how good I am. They get their gold star bag out and said, look, Jesus loves me. Got my gold stars. Religiously, I'm good. Okay? That's what they'll do. It's very uncomfortable for me because I just, I'm just listening and being nice and I'll be like, that's not going to help. 
I'm not impressed. He's definitely not impressed. And what they're going to say is, you ask them about their faith. Well, my granddaddy founded this church, and I'm a member of this church. Who's the pastor? I don't know. You, you attend there? I, up, you know, 1978, it's a good year. I went four times that year. Okay, Easter, Christmas, let's go there. You ask him this question, you know what I'm talking about. It's true because you heard it and you've seen it. And what are they banking their hope on? Some religious experience or who their parents were and the lineage of faith that they went down through. <laughs> Jesus is like, you're slaves. Care who your fa- I don't care who your physical father is. Anyone who sins is a slave to it. You're owned by it. And then he calls them, he says, I'm doing the work of my father in verse 38, and you're doing the work of your father. And you know who he says their father is? Satan, who's been a liar from the beginning, and they're lying, who's been a murderer from the beginning. And what do the Jews want to do? They are lying. We've never been enslaved. And I, I could just almost see Jesus rolling his eyes. Like, you kidding me? We're enslaved right now. It's like me standing here. I've never been in Tennessee. I live here. If I started telling you that, you'd be like, that dude is insane. Never been to the volunteer state. It would be a great place to go. We've never been enslaved. Roman flags are everywhere. The big eagles hanging up. (sighs) Lying. And they want to kill him. They're in bondage, and they don't understand or know it. And then... The worst tragedy of bondage in verse 37 in slavery. Jesus, remember, he acknowledges and breaks down their belief in their heritage. In verse 37, he says, I know that you are the offspring of Abraham. I know that. It's very clear. You're the offspring of Abraham. Yet you seek to kill me because my words find no place in you. Literally, in the most literal sense, if we were to translate that, is like, you don't have any room in your already full life for my teachings. You don't have any room in your heart to believe what I'm telling you. Like, it's full. It's at capacity. I mean, it's overflowing. It's like a kid pouring a drink. You ever seen a little kid try to fill a cup up? with a big jug. Some of you parents and toddlers are like, hey, man, I've seen it. Or, oh, me, I've seen it, okay? And they, they get the cup, and sometimes they'll just lay it on the ground, and they'll pick that jug up. You know, it would be like us picking up one of those five-gallon things for a water cooler, and they just, they're manipulating the thing. And I don't know. I've, <laughs> you can tell I've seen this a lot, and I just let it happen. It's a sickness, okay? And me, I'm like, hmm. It's going to be, unless it's on new carpet, I'm like, no, okay. Part floor, I'm like, eh, I can clean that up. Okay. Jimmy in that thing. And they put it ready for it. He lays it on their shoulder. And what happens, that cup is like a thimble, right? And he is doing, he or she is doing the full, like, jug upside down thing. And it's full, fills to the top and it overflows. And there's literally no more room for any more liquid in there, okay? And they're coming to you. It's like, I made, I spilled a little bit. And they spilled half of it. Their life is so full of themselves 
the Pharisees. Their life was so full of themselves and their own teachings and their own preferences and their own things they like and their own opinions and everything about it. They're so full that they cannot recognize the very words of life that are coming to them. You hear me? And that is one of the most dangerous things about, about being in bondage to sin is that you have no room for the words of God. Here's some, there's some light now. Many of us wouldn't say that. We wouldn't be that audacious to really say that out loud. But anytime we try to qualify our disobedience by with, with some kind of rationalization, we're saying, I don't have any room in my life for Jesus' teachings. But what if it, cha- it costs me something? It will. But it's going to, I'm going to hurt this. Feelings are going to get hurt. It's going to be awkward. It's okay. We just rationalize it. Your life is too full for Jesus' words to penetrate your heart. Jesus is right on sex. Jesus is right on who can be married and who can't be married. Jesus is right about sin. Jesus is right about greed being deadly to the heart. And that's what many of these Pharisees are suffering with. He's right about unbelief and how dangerous it is. He's right about rationalizing your sin. He's right. He, and he's right about this. You're a slave to sin apart from God. And the dangerous thing is I have no, I have no place in, in my life for obeying Jesus. Many of us do that when it comes to sports with our kids. I'm, oh, preacher, we're talking about sports. You stay in your lane. Don't you get this? Many people like, I was a youth minister for a long time, okay? And I would always get this right before senior year was about to end and parents started to notice that their kids don't love God. And even though they've been brought up to the church the whole time, they don't love God. They're not seeking after the things of God. And they're really afraid that they're going to go and party and and get their drink on and and ruin their life and all that kind of stuff. They'll come to me in a frantic moment, weeping. Pat, what am I going to do? We tried to raise them right. They're going to run off. And, And I'm not laughing at their pain, but I am laughing at this because, you know what? Every time the youth had worship, they didn't make that a priority. You know what they made a priority? ball game, play practice, band practice. Missed a whole bunch of stuff for travel ball on Sunday mornings. They were there during travel ball season, which now is almost nine months, ten months out of the year. They didn't make worship a priority. They didn't make the Bible a priority in their home. They didn't make any of those things. And I'm not talking about, listen, I hope we're not cutting hairs here like, did you attend last week? Okay, no, that's not what we're talking about. It's a pattern of showing that the things of God are not important. And then they're coming screaming, help my kids, I can't believe they don't know Jesus. And part of me is like, it's because you told them sports is more important. Or you told them money and education is more important. Because it wasn't just sports, it was also the kids like, they had a lot of homework. You know, she's really trying to get that scholarship. You're selling your child's soul for $15,000 scholarship. It's not worth it in the grand scheme of things. That's just one of many examples of us saying, I just don't have enough room in my life for you and your teachings. We all need to realize the deceptive nature of sin and that if we sin, we are slaves to sin. Oh, but Jesus came to set the captives free. 
because he is the light of the world who leads his people out of slavery and into freedom. In John 8, 31, Jesus said to the Jews who have believed in him, if you abide in my words, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And so here is the logic here. Jesus says, how can you be set free? How can you believe in me? How can you know me as the light of the world? He says, if you abide in my word, which has the idea of remaining, camping out, staying put. And if many of you, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you'll understand this. Not every day is like going to a worship conference, right? Sometimes I think we do a disservice by how exciting and inspiring our worship services can be. Pump the brakes, okay? Just hear me out for a second. Because not all of life is inspiring and joyful, right? In fact, you look in the Psalms, they have a lot of really down moments that the psalmist experience, and that is how life is. And sometimes when we come to worship, we're not feeling that feeling. We're not that hands raised, feeling the Spirit of God moving in us. And so we, we think that there is something, something amiss here. And what Jesus is saying is that if you just remain in me, like you keep believing, what is that? I keep believing that he is true even when I cannot see that he is. I keep believing that his promises are true, that he won't leave me or forsake me, even though I feel left and forsaken. You just remain there. It's just like when you're at tragedy's door and the tears won't stop and the dark, the night is dark and the soul is barely clinging to life. You're saying, you're going to sustain me. You're going to hold me fast. You promised to be my light and my salvation. You promised to me that you would be a refuge. Even if you don't feel like it, abiding in Jesus is believing his promises at all times and clinging to his promises at all times and clinging to his teaching to not so that you don't have room, but to always rearrange your life. To keep rearranging your life. And I want you to, this is just, this is just a, something that, listen, if your life is the same and you like it being the same, I want you to know something. The, the Word of God here wants you to change it. You may need to start with a physical action first, okay? Which means this. If your house has been the same for 30 years, go move a couch. I know that sounds weird, okay? But so in a pattern and so in a rut, it's evident in your physical life. So go move something. Go sell something. Get rid of it. And start the process of being uncomfortable. And listen, we got to be uncomfortable here, folks. And I'll tell you why. It's so that we can constantly be changed by the Holy Spirit in our church. Again, you're meddling, man. Like, where are you sitting? You always sit there? You should probably move. I'm going to tell you why. Because then you start camp putting your flag out. This is not a hotel or a resort. Resort. <laughs> resort. I eat resorts at resorts, okay? This is not a resort. This is a hospital for sinners. And this is an outpost of the kingdom of God in occupied territory. And we're invading the gates of hell. So you shouldn't feel comfortable. You should feel impassioned and emboldened to change your life by the word of God. And sometimes that starts with a little move one seat over. I know for some of you, are like, I can't do that, man. I got my toothbrush at 90 degrees. I measure that junk. Turn it for the glory of Jesus and realize this ain't about you. 
It's about him. I say that to myself because I want easy. I want to deal with the obedience that I have now. He's not calling you to the level of obedience you're at now. He calls you to the level of obedience that he's calling you to, which is far beyond where you are. Come on. He's the light of the world. He is the liberator, and we abide in his word, which means we are open. We have room in our life for his teaching and for his rearranging. And then also it says this, if we abide, it says if we abide, then we will. It's a future tense. If we abide in his word, which means we just keep on keeping on believing Jesus, making Jesus much in our life, always letting him get in there and meddle. We always have on those promises, even in the darkness. We just keep remaining in him. He's all of our life. We believe that. We repent of our sins when we need to. What happens? Then we will know the truth, and the truth will set us free. So where does the truth come from? Where does the freedom come from? It comes from abiding in Jesus, which he sets us free from sin and sets us alive to righteousness, which means the itch of sin. Even if we can get over the behavior I talked about it, we still got that itch of sin. He can scratch it once and for all, and he gives us the power to overcome it. And so we stay in the truth. The truth, we we will eventually know it, and then it will set us free from sin's bondage, which means we know we're in bondage and we know we need a Savior and we know who He is and we keep running to Him and He keeps rearranging our life and we'll follow Him no matter what because He is the light of the world. And if He led the Old Testament people out by fire in the darkness, how much more would the risen Jesus lead us out of darkness in our own bondage now? And then... We're not just slaves. We're sons and daughters. In verses 35, remember, let's go back to verse 34. Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains in the house forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Even a free slave doesn't get to stay in the house forever. Jesus, as the one and only true son, has the true power to set people free and to give them a permanent residence in the house and an inheritance and sonship. And so if he sets you free, you are free indeed. Sin has lost its power. You can't obey You really can. By remaining in Jesus and abiding in his word, you can obey that thing which is ruining and wrecking you. There is hope in Jesus. And it's not just in just this, but Jesus has given you many things to continue to free you. He's given you the people of God, accountability. He's given you his word. He's given you prayer. He's given you so many different things and avenues. He is setting people free. First, you've got to believe it. Second, you got to experience it, and you got to know this true, that if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed, and now you have a home in the, in the heavens with the one who set you free. And so this cannot be uttered with this hope. I don't have any hope. You don't know how long my addictions lasted. You don't know how long I have been in sin. You don't know this. No, I don't. I don't know how difficult it is. I haven't been where you've been. 
Even if I've had a similar experience, I haven't had exactly the same experience. I don't know. But the one who made everything does. And I want you to believe this. I want you to believe with all your heart. If he sets you free, then you will be free indeed. We don't... Can you set me free of this pain? I lost this person. My life didn't turn out how I thought it would turn out. I have this struggle, this addiction, this problem. Can you do it? I'm the son. Who, the one I set free is free indeed. And even if you struggle with this your whole life, you're free because I will free you of it one day. You'll be right with me. I, he's, he's, there's freedom in him. There's freedom. You don't have to be in bondage anymore. It doesn't mean that you're going to walk out of here and not want to pick up that thing again. It does mean that they're in him and in abiding in him. There is truth, and the truth can set you free. And if the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. And, and, and one of the Wesley brothers said it best in this hymn. He said, long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's, eye, nature's night. Thy eye diffused the quickening ray, and when the light broke through, I awoke the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. The light of the world is here. He's speaking to you in your sin and saying, I'm the light of the world. If you will follow me, I will lead you out of darkness and in the light. Well, the first, so, so what do you do? You just take the first step. You just take the first step. First step's believing. I believe you're right. I know I've been having this for a while, but I'm just going to take a step towards you. I believe. Help my unbelief. Jesus is not telling us a lie. There is power in the name of Jesus to break every chain. If you abide in his words... You're truly his disciples. And you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. And he who the Son sets free is free indeed. And I'm going to invite Amy to come on up and play for us. I'm going to invite our, our team up to pass out communion because this is how we've been concluding this. Our worship times is through communion. If you are in Christ today, if you have been born again and you're a believer in him, we invite you to take communion with us. We believe it's a symbol of his body broken and his blood spilled. And as we come to it today, and I want us, as, she, as Amy plays, as we pass this out, before we take it together, I just want you to think about this. What is the area in your life that you need freedom? And I want you to, I want you to say this and ask, Lord, Lord, do I believe you that you can give me freedom? And we're going to take these elements believing in a minute. So wrestle with your unbelief. Pray. Seek the Lord. We're going to take these elements together.
on the night that Jesus was betrayed in the upper room with his disciples, he took the bread when he had broken it. He said, this is my body broken for you. In like manner, he took the cup. When he had given thanks for it, he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. Take it and drink. Of course, often as we do this, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Would you pray with me? Father, we believe in you. Son, we believe in you. Spirit, we believe in you. God, three in one, we believe in you. Lead us out of darkness into your marvelous light, we pray. Help us know freedom in the dark places. That begins with a step of faith saying you are right. You are light in this darkness. Help us to believe. Help our unbelief. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to, at this point, pass around our offering baskets. And as you do that, would you please turn your attention to the screen? who made this great and glorious world made you and I in his image to worship him. Augustine said it in a prayer. You have made us, O oh God, and our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. We live in a world of evil, poverty, sickness, murder, greed. This is why Jesus came, to save the world from its brokenness and sin. At another time, on another tree, he died for us. And then he rose again so we can have life in his name. And now you and I get to share that message with others. But the thought of that can freak us out, right? We feel insecure and ill-equipped. But what if I told you the very God who created and redeemed us has made each of us to tell others the good news of Jesus? What if I told you the personality that you have, your talents, whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, all this has been given to you as a gift so you can talk about Jesus in everyday conversations the very way you were born to do it. Just like it takes time for trees to grow to maturity, I want to take you on a journey to help you grow in your witness. I want to help you connect the gospel story with your story and show you how to talk about that story in normal conversations with people you know. I want you to see how the person you are just the person God wants to use for his gospel work. If you know Jesus and you're breathing, you're a missionary. You're a missionary every bit as much as a man or a woman who gives his life to an unreached people group. And I want to show you what being a missionary looks like for you in everyday life. God created you for his glory to advance his gospel with the gifts, talents, and opportunities he gave you at home, at school, in the workplace where he placed you. You live at this time in the history of the world for this purpose, a purpose that is bigger than you, sharing Jesus without freaking out. This book right here is available to us. We're gonna do a 
It's not small group. We're going to call it a medium group, okay? And it's going to be starting on September the 7th, which is a Thursday night, but it's going to meet after that on Sunday night groups from 5 to 7. And we're going to be going through this book, and the, all the small groups will be coming together to form our medium-sized group. And anybody who is interested or would like to come is asked to come and join us in this study. These books, usually 13 14 bucks a piece, we have them for suggested donation of $5. This book will be the centerpiece of what we're going through during this medium group time. It's going to be an exciting time, and it's going to be a great time for us to keep our theme going for what is going to be our theme for this year, which is drawing near to God. And we sang it earlier today, but we're going back to James 4.8. If we draw near to God, He will draw near to us. And we're talking about this in three ways. We want this, week, this year we want to draw near to God. We want to draw closer to one another and, and develop more of a community. And we want to continue to draw people from the outside in. And this is a perfect opportunity for that. Miss Amy McAvoy, would you raise your hand high? You see this lady right down here? She's going to sign you up. So if you want a book, you can come and get a book. Suggested donation of $5. We need you to sign up for the, the class that's to come. And here's the reason why. We are offering free to you child care, okay? Like, background checked, nice young ladies in their, in, in uh, seniors in high school and college, la college young ladies are going to be watching the kiddos. You get to come and experience just dropping the kids off, giving them a kiss and saying, I'm free, okay? And then, then you get to come and you get to learn about setting people free in Jesus, all right? So that's going to be great. I want you to go ahead and just, just go ahead and Schedule time for this is going to be a big deal. And right after the service, like we said, we have the books. They're here. Come get your book. Come sign up. If you don't have the money, that's okay. We'll figure it out, okay? Um, the books, it, the suggested donation is $5. If that, don't let that be a hindrance. We want every person in our church involved in this, and it's going to be a great, great time. Even if you're not in our church and attending for the first time, you're welcome to come to this too. This is open. The door is open, okay? It's going to be a great time, and that's going to be Sunday nights. So that's, that's that. Also, if you missed the members meeting, and many did, um, there is a schedule down here of what we got going on, and we got a lot going on. So come check it. It's this blue piece of paper that's down here on the subwoofers. Finally, last but certainly not least, today, many of you probably noticed that we have some food hanging around back here. We are going to have a potluck appreciation meal for our children's workers. So if you worked in children's ministry or vacation Bible school, let me go ahead and tell you, you're invited. And uh, if you brought a dish, great. If not, I think we'll be all right. So come anyway, okay? There's going to be some door prizes. There's going to be some appreciation. And we're going to talk about what's coming next in, um, next in um, children's ministry, okay? So it's going to be a great time. So please make sure you stay for that. But before we do that, there is a catch, all right? We need your help. Here's how we need your help. We have to set up tables in here, which means we have to move chairs in here. So if you would, and it's not going to be too hard. We've done this before. I believe in you, okay? You can... If you just grab a chair and take it and stack it on top of the back rows back there. See, if you're in the back, you don't even have to move your own chair. You can just decide to move another chair back there, okay? So if you're able-bodied in any shape, form, or fashion, please help us move the chairs out. And I'll need a group. Kevin, when you head up some guys to get bring the tables down, all right? Get ready for that. Let's stand, and we're going to be dismissed with these words. So if the sun has set you free, you are free indeed. Go in his grace. You're dismissed.